Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to VUX World. Uh, I did have a music background uh, before, but I've realised it has been cutting out far too abruptly for these kind of like live things. So uh, I'll, I'll knock that on the head and I'll just say hi. Uh, welcome to the show. Today's show is going to be an absolutely epic one. Uh, Qbox are making huge waves in the conversational AI space. I think that if I was to analyze what's going on, I think they've, found, they've got a product and found a perfect fit within the market that everyone building any kind of conversational interface needs. So we're going to get into that in, in just a moment. But first, before we do that, I'd like to give a shout out to our two presenting sponsors, Deepgram and Symbol AI. Uh, Symbol AI is a suite of APIs that allows developers and enterprises to build conversational intelligence. Essentially, what you can do with Symbol AI is get to data within conversations that's happening all across your business and data that you probably didn't even realize existed. It can do things, it can even do things as, as mad as um, for like quality assurance purposes. It can recognize how long either agents or customers are like pausing for in the middle of a conversation. It can do speaker diarization so it can see when a customer's talking, when an agent's talking, it can do intent instra- extraction. And it can even do things like, let's say, for example, if you have a quality assurance metric that says that, I don't know, everyone needs to talk about this in a call or sales, closing a sale should only last two minutes or whatever it might be, you can actually profile a a topic area and determine how long someone spent talking about payments or talking about onboarding or whatever. There's use cases where they're detecting voicemails on outbound dialers and leaving messages after after the beep, which is notoriously a very difficult question to do. It automates a whole bunch of manual stuff that people don't have the staff to do. So check out Symbol AI if you are in at all interested in conversational intelligence because it is truly, truly amazing. And check out the podcast we did with uh, Serbi Rathor, the CEO that we did yesterday. It was unbelievable. Uh, to find out more about that, you can go to symbol.ai. That's S-Y-M-B-L dot A-I. S-Y-M-B-L dot A-I. Uh, and our other presenting sponsor is Deepgram. And if you've uh, been listening to the show and been, paid attention to the show, you'll have heard about Deepgram. Deepgram is one of the industry-leading automatic speech recognition providers. If you're building voice bots, if you're building voice assistants, if you're building anything really that requires uh, turning speech into text, structured data, essentially, unstructured data to structured data, then Deepgram is where it's at. They have immense accuracy, over 90% in some cases, and 80% is usually good, but Deepgram does get to 90% in some some cases uh it's it's incredibly cost effective and what they'll do is benchmark any other provider that you're looking at from a speech recognition point of view with their technology as well so that you are actually informed about how well this technology performs for your use case to find out more about that check out deepgram.com forward slash vux world that's deepgram.com forward slash vux world thank you deepgram and symbol ai for sponsoring the podcast uh now you're all tuning in. I can see these people here on LinkedIn and you might be listening to this on the podcast or YouTube. So I think without further ado, we will introduce our guest for today. His name is Benoit Alvarez. He's the CTO of Qbox. I mentioned in the intro there that Qbox are going from strength to strength. It's a, I would say a fairly new product, fairly new company, but you wouldn't think that when you look at the clients that they're signing up every single month, there's an, or every single week rather, there's another client signing up and it is really making some huge waves. So I'm dying to get into this conversation with Benoit. Benoit, welcome to VUA world hello everybody hello kane thanks for having me no problem thank you for joining us um 
It's an absolute pleasure. We spoke a while back and uh, at the time, I can't even remember when it was. It was last year at some point. And the way you were explain, explaining Qbox was, you know, seemed to me to be a, a, an ideal product for anyone working on conversational interfaces. And then since we spoke, literally I was saying before we kind of went live that it's like week goes by and it's bang, there's a post from Qbox, another client signed up. And then two days later, it's bang, there's another post, another client signed up. And it's like just absolutely constant. So things must be going pretty well right now. Uh, yeah, they are. I mean, I think we 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 lucky. Um, as you said, uh, I think we found a, we found a nice uh, problem that we are solving uh, very well, and 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 it's a problem that everybody faces. So um, so yeah, it's it's going very very well. Nice and. Uh... Let's 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 we may as well jump straight into it, given uh, given that we are here. So, what what is it then that that Qbox does? The product that you found a good fit for. What is it? I wonder if you can explain what it does. Yeah, I mean, typically it's uh, it's a performance tool. So it's really looking into uh, data model and NLP data models, and really understand the quality of the training data. So it's going to do an analysis of that training data and uh, highlight any kind of weakness you may have in, in, in that training data. We know um, NLP modeling can be quite complicated. The, 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 the first complications is uh, the trainer understand the data. And because they do, they make assumptions. And they make assumptions that because it makes sense to them, it will make sense to the machine. However, machines do not um, interpret language the way the way we do. So that that tend to be the first mistake. So we tend to do a, a bunch of analysis that will look at their training data and tell them how good and 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 uh, how much the machine is learning from it, or how much it's confusing the machine, and give them that information in order for them to realign that data. Ultimately, you know, the point is to get those chatbot model to understand the user as, as, as well as it can. And, um, and, and to move away from these discussions about, oh, should I get Louis because Dialogflow is not performing or should I get Watson because, you know, Louis is not performing. Move away from that and, and move to a, you know, a data-centric uh, exercise where, where you really have to look into the quality of your data before the quality of the algorithm that is powering it. Interesting. And what's what's your kind of background then? So, you know, vo we mentioned beforehand volume AI uh, and the work that you were doing there around kind of like building chatbots and stuff like that. I wonder if you can share with us uh, a little bit about your kind of journey into, maybe it's even before volume AI, your, your journey into the conversational AI kind of space, first of all, and where that come from. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm not going to talk about my journey before because I used to be in the armament and doing guidance system for, for missile and, and, and all this malaki. Uh, but um, volume has always been, um, was a digital agency and uh, always been focused over building enterprise software for, for clients but very much as a consultancy consultancy piece. And uh, Chris Seid, my founder, really looked into uh, the landscape of marketing and where it's going and, and, and how people are moving from uh, a push discipline where you push content to them where, to a pool discipline where, where really they, they really want to get content as and when. And 
hence the, the chatbot journey started. So we started implementing chatbot, pivoting a little bit the business to our building chatbot. And as we did it, and that was like, you know, six years ago now, we were one of the first IBM uh, Watson ecosystem partner or, or, or whatever it was called at the time. And as we built our first few chatbots, we found out the difficulty and, and the amount of effort it takes to make it from okay to good and from good to great. Mm. You know, it was it was huge. It was time intensive and so on. And 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 we built this internal things, tools, uh, for, for, for our own benefit, really. And we ended up um, talking to Gardner. I don't remember why, but we ended up talking to Gardner. And, and those guys were saying, but how, got, how, how do you get this precision in your, in your chatbot, this accuracy? Um, and they said, oh, we use this tool. Da, 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 and we show them and so on. And, and they said, do, 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 you, do you guys know that everybody else has the same problems? <laughs> and surely you should make a product of it. And we say, yeah, of course, it was the plan from day one. Of, of course, it was not the plan for day one. Was, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's one of those things. And, you know, our our founder is is very entrepreneurial uh, person. And he just said, okay, yeah, let, let's try to do something about it. Interesting. So, so you kind of touched on some of the challenges there. And I suspect that the challenges that you were, were facing six years ago <laughs> are probably the exact same challenges that many currently face still today. So uh, when you talk about um, levels of accuracy and stuff like that, obviously the, the, the assessment of a, a decent bot, arguably speaking, should be its ability to understand what people say and the ability for it to respond accordingly if you want to break it down to its absolute fundamentals. Absolutely. So what were some of those challenges that you were facing then and probably people are still facing now? Yeah, I mean, you know, um, I, I mentioned it already a little bit earlier, but we tend, uh, the problem is we understand this training data. You know, we, we train with sentences, uh, uh, and and we understand it. So we say, if it makes sense to me, it will make sense to to to, to the user. So uh, or to to the model. Sorry. So that that's kind of the first problem. It is true that you need to use customer utterances for your first, you know, thirty percent of your model. But then it's not true. Then after it's all about crafting your training data, and and so little amount of people are spending time crafting their training data. Um, to be honest, you know, the early marketing of this technology is, is a lot to blame uh, there because the early marketing, uh, now the early big companies that were marketing those technology, they are saying, you know, it, it gives us a bit of training data. We put a bit of AI dust on top of it <laughs> and you will see the magic. Um, and and unfortunately, it, it, it's not that. So we find out, for example, people are, are going to say, you know, what the weather? What the weather like today? What is the weather like tomorrow? What is what is what is? And ultimately, all the machine learn is what is important. Everything else is not because you keep repeating it. So surely it must be that super important. <laughs> and so it so it it's small things like that. But um, th that's one of the first challenge people face. The, the second challenge they tend to face uh, it's really understanding the performance of that training data. You know how do you test it? in uh, you know in an empirical way but in a repetitive way 
you know, how do you uh, repeat the same test over and over and over? And, and, and um, you can understand the difference between two models when you have slightly tweaks to another. So, and, and doing that at speed. I remember us in the early days having to spend a day doing a test one test, you know, taking a day to run. So we used to run it at night. And if it didn't run well, <laughs> the next morning we came and we had nothing to do, you know, except <laughs> pressing the button again. Um, and, and now, you know, with systems like Qbox and, and others, you know, you, you, you get your result in two minutes. Uh, so you can really embrace this, 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 this empirical testing and fixing because ultimately nobody can tell you how, how your model behaves. All you can do is showing some weaknesses, some area that you understand better, some area that is the model is confused with, um, and and let people apply a fix. And and one of the beauty with Qbox, for example, is you apply a fix, you run it, and Qbox tell you if you have made it better or worse. And if you have made it better, comes the third challenge: the regressions. What have you? What else have you broken by fixing an area? What else have you broken? What are the ripple effect? We like to call it ripple effect because, you know, those models ultimately in NLP, you are going to have a number of intents. You are going to have a number of subject matter you want to talk about. Uh, and you are going to give training data. And I tend to say that it's a classification problem ultimately. It's like image classification. Is it a dog or a cat? Um, so it's exactly the same thing, except an image classification problems, you are going to have 10,000 images of a cat and 10,000 images of a, of a dog. Uh, now find 30 ways to ask about the weather, and you will find most people find easily the first 10, maybe 15. But after, it, it, it can be quite difficult. So you don't deal with the same quantity of data, meaning your classification, when you change something in one of this intent, what report effect? Does it have positive or negative across the rest of the model and be at the forefront of that? Because what you tend to find is, you know, people typically when people start, they will look at, they will put a model together, they will test it manually, they might do a bit of cross validation checking, uh, but uh, they will put it live and they will review the logs. And that's the first terrible mistake. Reviewing the logs, meaning your customer have already experienced your bot. And if your logs are bad, <laughs> you know you know what that says about your customer's experience they have they have had. So, but but they do that. It's not a bad technique. It's 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 just not ideal. Uh, and and they used to review the logs and see your problems, fix it, not realizing that they are gonna have ripple effect, and creating another problem somewhere else. And what they use, I mean what still people do is a fire fight. They fix something here, mm. it's still there. They fix something here the next day, it's still there. They fix something that the next day. And, and, and it's constant. And, and people are, are, are really struggling, which lead to the fourth issue, it's scaling. People are in the impossibility of scale. Our first client was that, was um, I created a model for my business, a chatbot model for my business. It's a big US firm. And um, we had like 10, 12 intents and we demoed that to the business and they loved it. And they said, okay, let's do it for that subject matter. That was around 
60, 17, 10s. And they say, we can't get the performance. <laughs> it's all over the place. And we mm-hmm. can't go live. And it has been three months. We have every every day for the last three months, we have tried to re- rework the models and it's going nowhere. And uh, they got QBox and in two weeks they were live. You know, wow. because straight away, it, QBox told them where the issue was. Uh, and scaling is a, is a big, big, big problem because if you think about it, you know, when you have to make a decisions out of 20 possible outcomes, that's an exercise to do. When you have to make a decision, the same decision out of 50 possible outcomes, it's become harder. Mm. And 100, it's become even harder and so on. So the scaling problem, it's a, it's, it's a real problem. Interesting. So I wonder if we can go back to that first challenge then, which is uh, people that essentially use a combination of their own assumptions to to create the training data for the for the initial model in the first place plus which is usually always known or seen to be the kind of best practice which is to get some actual genuine utterances from your customers whether that's you know data from a live chat data from potentially emails or call center transcripts things like that and use that to kind of build your model around and you'll see the tools that you know AWS announced the kind of um, what is it the intent profiler I think they called it something like that I know that Genesis have got something similar where basically you just feed a bunch of transcripts into it and it will then start populating and creating intents based on the data that you fed to it I would say that not many not many people are at that level, even that level of sophistication yet. But what I'm hearing you saying there is that that approach of taking actual customer utterances combined, you know, in its totality, you mentioned 30% is usually a good start. But then you've got a lot of assumptions that people are making uh, just out of their own heads, com- you know, typing training data into the model and stuff like that. What is the kind of, what what are the, well, basically how does, QBox or, or how would somebody recognize the mistakes that they're making? Basically, you know, if you were, if you were to use a transcript to create a, a, a training data for, for uh, an intent based entirely on transcripts, what are the likely issues that you'll see from there? And also consequently, what's the same issues that you'll see if you do it entirely by assumptions? Yeah, I mean, so assumption or bootstrapping, as 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 people call it, it's it's one technique that kind of works well. Uh, logs are very very useful, but we, I I am not gonna pretend that you can use log and it will work because it, from our experience, we haven't seen it work. Uh, log is very useful, but if I say you know I was on holiday with my wife and we lost our credit card the first part of the sentence is adding absolutely zero value to, to the model. It's actually creating more confusion than adding value. Um, and, and keeping the second part of the sentence, I lost my credit card, which is really the intent of, you, you, of, of your questions, is, is what you want to recognize. And those models um, are good enough that if you train only with the most important part of the sentence, uh, once a, a user utterance will come in with a little bit more fluff, uh, it will be able to get that out of the way. Um, and, and that's the first mistake. People will take log and use them as 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 is. And, and, and that does not work. And so if you craft a little bit your your logs or if you craft your own your own one, you are gonna craft a number of them. And after, it's all about 
the diversity of your training data. And we have this calculation into Qbox, which, which calculates the diversity to try to understand the value of a piece of training data. How much is the model learning from that particular piece? Um, and we give that to the user as, as, as a source of inspirations to say, okay, I understand if I'm rephrase it very, very similarly, it's just not adding that much versus, you know, if, if you know, I, 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 let's take the weather. Uh, I can ask about, you know, what would be the weather today? And I can ask about the forecast and I can ask about, is it gonna rain? Okay, uh, but I could ask also, much wider and much diverse data set around, should I take an umbrella today? Should I take some sun cream? Can I wear mm. a short? Mm. You know, um, so you can go much, much wider. And that diversity is an important one. It's not about repeating, you know, 15 times a sentence in slightly different variation with a please, with no please, with can instead of could, and so on. That, that makes very, very little difference. Um, so that diversity in, uh, in, in the linguistic of it is, is, is quite important. Even so, you need to repeat sometimes a couple of times, three times the concept, but you find out after yeah, four or five times, it's just not adding any value. Uh, we, we've seen customer, you know, coming and saying, don't understand, I have 700 pieces of training data in that intent, it doesn't work, <laughs> you know, and we show them that with 45, it works three times as good, you know, right. and, and it just really understanding that those kind of trainings are, are very similar to what we call transfer, transfer learnings, which mean quality of the data is paramount to our quantity. It's all about the diversity of that data. Mm. So the so it sounds as though then transcripts could be potentially good for finding that breadth and that diversity. Maybe assumptions potentially used really just to get something off the ground. I mean, a lot of models have built-in intents, you know, yeses and nos and all that kind of stuff. But for other things like, you know, I lost my credit card or whatever, it would be easy for someone to, to think up a number of different ways to say that I lost my credit card, you know, uh, can't find my credit card, whatever it might be, you know. So is, is the best practice then from your experience for when you're getting started building a model to use logs to find breadth assumptions to, to, to try and nail a couple of really core things and then really not necessarily worry too much about anything else until you've actually trained the model and assessed it. Yeah, absolutely. That's a very, very good start. Uh, so you will bootstrap by whatever mechanism, as you say, you take some logs, you know, so you take a little bit the breath of, of what's possible. You might as well yourself craft a couple of more examples around one particular example that you like and here and there. So you're going to try to amplify it manually. Uh, you have tools like in Qbox uh, that it will read your training data you already have and it will suggest right. you new training data. So, you know, find your 10, your first 10 iterances for your weather and, and let, let Qbox do a bit of, a bit of work. So use like natural language generation um, technology behind it and so on. But yeah, it's about amplifying, but nobody, nobody out there can say this piece of training data will help you. It, it, it's impossible. You need to test it. There is only the final test on the final NLP engine 
that will tell you if, if it works. And that's what Qbox does, really. It's really taking that training data, tracking those assumptions. Don't be worried about being wrong because being wrong just teach you what works and what doesn't work uh, and testing it, testing it in a repeatable ways. Um, I, I remember a customer, uh, we were on a call and uh, she was she she had fixed she had fixed a problem she she talked to us uh, a couple of days ago and we gave her a little bit of pointer um, and she said oh I fixed it I said okay oh, I would love to know how you have done that <laughs> we go on the calls and uh, she showed me the before the fix and the after and I said so how how did you come out with this particular fix so I don't know I just know that what Louis like. And that's all she could explain. Uh, and, and I said, what, what do you mean? I said, she said, you see how I rephrase this part, but not this part. I reinforce this part, but I rephrase that, that the rest of that, of that, that sentence like that. And so, because Luis is sensitive to that particular type of, of, of content. And she said, I just discovered that as I was looking at, you know, Qbox result, looking at the pattern it gives you, so it gives you plenty of data point and pattern in lovely graph, easy to read and, and so on. And say, so I recognize those pattern and typically those pattern, I tend to fix it like that. And now I see that when I have this pattern, I, I do this type of stuff and, you know, 90% of the time it works. Interesting, interesting. So would you say that then, you mentioned there that, when it comes to that sort of training data, and we'll move on to some of the other points in a minute, but when it comes to that training data, you said that the first part of the utterance often, like I was on holiday and lost my credit card. I was on holiday part, not really making a difference, but the lost my credit card part does. Do you think that there is a difference? Because you mentioned at the very beginning, you said, let's not worry about the NLU. Let's worry about the training data. Is, is there a difference in your experience of how different NLU systems do in reality perform? Or is it a case of actually they're almost a commodity and they're providing you give the good, good enough training data to each of them. They're all much of a muchness. What's your, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, um, to answer the part of the question, which is, you know, do you worry about NL, NL, UNGing? Um, I would say no, not until you really master your data. So, what I mean by that is I mean that, you know, you will get most of your performance from your training data. And after you will get maybe a little bit more from one NLU versus another. So you might get a little bit, but it's neglectable until you get, uh, you get your training data or you really understand how to master and craft that training data. So really the most important is that factor. Saying they are a commodity uh, might be a little bit harsh from me because uh, those guys are pushing hard, really, mm. really hard. Um, and they are bringing improvements all the times. And, and they are all, you know, most of them are very good technology. Most of them are very good technology. Now saying out of all their customer, what the percentage of customer that makes the most of that technology, that's a very small percentage. And that's why I'm saying, you know, before trying to jump, jump ship, you know, are you sure you have made the most of this technology that was provided to you? Um, and that's where the difficulty lie. It's, mm. it's you know, uh, when, when have you reached the ceiling of what this particular provider can do for you? 
Interesting. That's a really good point, that, because I think that there is a case of, and I've spoke to plenty of companies who are not happy with a particular outcome and are trying to move away from dialogue flow for argument's sake and trying to go somewhere else. And the question is, yeah, how 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 well have you fed the engine in the first place? And is that the actual problem, you know? Mm, yeah, I mean, uh, I know Gardner, for example, um, have had this query multiple times and tend to advise you know, as 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 a point of contact, say okay, talk to those guys first before trying to do all the work that that it takes to change from one provider to another. I mean, I, I won't say there is not better provider than other. I think that they are. Um, I think some of them are a little bit more advanced in the game than other. Uh, but you know, um, really, until you have mastered your training data. The gain you are going to get versus the effort you are going to put is is not worth. Mm, interesting. What would be an example of some of the platforms or companies or technologies that I don't want to get into who's not performing, but of those that you said put some perform slightly better than others, what off the top of your head, what would be some of the providers that you think perform you know pretty pretty well in comparison? I mean, I think um, I think you take uh, IBM, Watson, uh, you take Microsoft, uh, Louis, uh, you take um, you take you know Google Dialogflow. They 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 are all very strong choices. Mm. Uh, even you know um, the people are at a, a little bit late in the game, but are catching up at at, at a speed that is immense, like our record. You know, mm. Oracle is is you know um, with ODA was a little bit late, but but they are you know pushing really really hard. After you have like other technologies that have different value, like Raza, you know Raza, uh, open source, uh, great platforms, but not a simple platforms, but with a lot of advantage, a lot of value, uh, a lot more freedom. You know, mm. so rather it's lovely because you don't have to play only on your training data. You have also access to the full pipelines and, and, and you can pick your tokenizer and, 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 and all the gizmo you want. However, it's not simple, you know, for, for people that haven't mastered all, all that, all that, you know, technology, it can be a little bit overwhelming mm. at the same time. So rather you, you, you don't have to go in someone else's infrastructure. You know, you yeah. can stay. You can stay. You can stay inside. So, you know, there are also different value and cost and 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 so on. But, you know, um, the key providers are are very good. After you have also newcomer like like Core.ai and 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 so on. Mm. We know we know them a little bit less. So I, I will not I will not talk too much about their 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 performance. Um, mm. And Amazon Amazon also likes is is investing quite hard into into it. I think they were behind and they are in a in a catching pattern uh, right now. Mm. Interesting. Um so you mentioned that there was four stages. So the first stage was identifying and producing that training data. The second phase you said was that testing the model initially was it? Yeah, yeah absolutely. So testing the models yeah. What are some what are some of the um well first of all you mentioned manual testing which I think a lot of people do and I, I would say that manual testing obviously and inevitably you're building 
<laughs> you're building your testing around the same assumptions that have fed the training data. And so you, you <laughs> it's obviously, you're it's not obviously a challenge. That. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, but aside from that, what, what other kind of challenges have you identified or seen emerge when it comes to testing? And then we'll get onto, onto how Qbox and how you would recommend people do that. Yeah. I mean, so people will use standard, um, techniques like k-fold or holdout data um k-fold is great because every piece of string data it's it's hold as a, as a test data at some point however it doesn't work in nlp because the data set is too low so k-fold is lovely because it's going to work give you a result you are going to have one piece of training data in your models and the result is going to be completely different so what's it, what, what's careful? Could you define careful oh, testing K-fold, for those? That are not yeah, careful is when you hold hold a little bit of training data as test data. So instead of training training the model on everything you have, you mm-hmm. train the model on almost everything you have, and you hold a little bit. And okay. what you hold, you know where you take it from. So when you ask the model those questions, you know what it should answer. Okay. And you will repeat that a number of time, K time, um, and uh, until you have a, every single piece has been hold at some point. So you have to train X number of models and so on. So very well-known technique uh, to test model without testing data. Right. Okay. Uh, so very useful. People would love to use it. But in an LP, because of the low ratio of training data per intent, it doesn't work because you change, you add one piece of training data, all your fold change. So now you're comparing apple against pear. Right. It just doesn't work. Um, Sounds like a long process as well, that. Oh, it is It is quite a long process. And usually they will do confusion metrics out of it and and, and, and so on. That's that's what we used to do in the early days and we couldn't understand. We, do, we, <laughs> we change, we change, the, mo- we, we change uh, the model a little bit. We try to fix it. And now our K4 is giving us a completely different result. <laughs> <laughs> so we scratch our head quite, quite a long time on that. Um, other techniques are uh, testing data. So people are just, you know, uh, creating a set of test data, but it's only as good as the quality of the test data. And, and you know, people will tend to think about things that they have already thought of. So it can be a little bit tricky. The best in terms of uh, so testing data or, or, or blind data are part of cross-validation. So the, the best cross-validation one is, is blind data. That means you get another teams to create data that nobody knows about. Um, and and, and that, that's, that can be very good, but extremely, extremely time-consuming. Because mm. imagine you're going to create your models um, and you're going to ask people to create training data. I have, I have a customer that before using Qbox, they had uh, three, three to 500 uterans per intent of, for, for test data. Wow. So they had to crowdsource it and the cost of it and da, da, da. And after reviews, the crowdsource and it, it was huge. Anyway. So they will do that and they will say that particular question should go to that intent and so on. So they will do all the mapping, test it, find the issue. It's a really good test. They will find the issue. They will say, oh, we need to merge those two intent and we need to split that intent in two and we need to da-da-da or do, do X, Y, Z. 
Then after we have to redo all their cross their, their test data file because everything has changed, you know. <laughs> and and it's just like it's madness. It's madness. And as much as it's a very useful test, uh, it's not very insightful at the beginning of your models. So we advise our client, for example, not to use that to use this particular technique at the end when they are ready to go live. They do a cross validation test. And, and and if that doesn't throw any different results than the normal test on Qbox, they, they're good to go. Interesting. So what 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 testing is involved in in Qbox then? What's different about if you were to test the model on Qbox? Presumably, you still need to find some kind of training data from somewhere to to give it. Like what what, what would be the difference? That's one of the beauty. You don't, you know. So okay. you build your model. You give you 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 upload your model on Qbox, and two minutes later, Qbox tells you the result. That's all you had to do. So it's 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 one of the success we have. There is zero integrations. There is zero time of setup. Uh, in, in in two minutes, you can have your result. Um, <laughs> and and that's through what we call our automated automated test. So that's one of the big research we have done in the early days, and 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 we have a, a patent for for that. Uh, but it's it's you know. Coming with something as good as scaffold or as good as holding data, but that haven't haven't got the pitfall of of those technology uh, or those techniques, should I say? Mm. Um, and and that's what we did. So um, you will test, you know, you will do like 90, 95 percent of all your tests using this automated Qbox test. Um, that will give you a lot of insight. You will rely. On you know, you will recraft your uterans, you will split your intent, you will merge them, you will you will do all that works. And when you're ready to go live, it's always suggested to do a bit of a of a what we call a cross-validation test. So a bit of test data that hopefully you have taken from logs. And in that moment, you keep the I was I was with my wife on holiday and this happened. At that moment you keep it because in cross-validation data it's very important because that's how user speak okay mm. and that's more how i would use my log if i was a customer with a lot of logs i would keep these things it's it's a real you know uh gold mine so i will keep that for my cross validations and run a test and say okay now we had the fluff now we had everything that people talk to is it still performing as well as you know the automated test to tell us and you might have a, a couple of refinements. Uh, the automated test is not completely perfect. It can't gather for everything. Mm. But usually it's pretty minimum. Um, and you go live. Interesting. So you mentioned that you kind of touched on it a little bit in terms of, you know, you might need to make some tweaks and stuff like that. Part of making some tweaks sometimes can be, as you kind of alluded to earlier, that fixing something in one place can have a knock-on effect in another place. Mm -hmm. And for those that are kind of less mature in their um, practice, you a lot of people will launch a chatbot, for example, and that's almost kind of it. You know, they'll review the logs, they'll make some changes to some intents, but, you know, not always, especially with smaller teams or teams that are just getting started or they've never done it before, reviewing the logs, finding extra training data that was a mismatch or whatever, and then adding that to the model what ends up happening often is that the training that will be done on top of that will just be testing to see whether that intent still fires. So rather than looking at the rest of the model to see what's broken. So I'm wondering if you can elaborate a little bit on to shine some light on 
sometimes what the impact is of adjusting one intent on the rest of the model. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it can be quite huge. I mean, people don't realize it, but uh, you're absolutely right. They will find a particular problem, fix that problem, test that problems, and be happy to roll with it, and not realizing the ripple effect, the difference, the, 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 the kind of the impact. Uh, it's very difficult to illustrate, but uh, and I think that's where maybe you know the tools is doing a good job. It's because it will tell you. It will, it will tell you, you know, you run a test, you make modification, you run another test, it's telling you this intent has improved, this intent has improved, this utterance is better understood within the context of the new set of training data. Uh, but also this intent of regress and this intent of regress. And I really want you to look at this one because there is a drop and that is not normal. And those regression may come from false positive, okay? So you fix an intent X, uh, and now you fix it so much that you increase a little bit its scope. And its scope now, it's going over another intent Y now, and it was not before. <laughs> so now a piece of training data that should be well understood is now misunderstood with intent X. So that's one of the typical problem we find. Those are easier to identify. But what we have also, we have what we call the N plus two, N plus three, N plus four. It's your false positive now, what impact does it have on something else? All right? And it is cascading effect that you need to be able to measure and identify. Um, and I mean, you know, that we, we cover that through Qbot. There might be other way to, to, to cover it, but that's a very, very important part of, of, of the system because Otherwise, you know, how can you release new things and tell the business, you know, we fixed it or we improved it or we, we whatever and everything else is still fine. It's impossible. And manual tests, as you say, you know, it's just if you have 15 tents, what you, you should, we always advise, you know, for 15 tents, you should have at least 20, 30 cross-validation data per intent. I mean, you know, mm. nobody manually is testing that amount. No. All right? No, definitely not. Definitely not. That's interesting. So so when you when you adjust one intent, there's a knock-on effect to another intent. You might then adjust that intent, which has a knock-on effect to another intent. <laughs> and so there's this kind of ripple effect. Anyway. Would you say that, I mean, looking at the website, you're, you're, there's some stats in there, which is showing like 99% accuracy for some models uh, and a hundred percent improvement on other models and stuff like that so how do you then resolve something that occurs like that how do you resolve one intent because the the the, the bot for want of a better word has has received that intent or that utterance rather sorry the bot has received that utterance there is a need to be able to capture that utterance and match it to an intent but adding that to an intent as training data is conflicting elsewhere and then there's a ripple effect. So how do you resolve that? Is it a case of maybe stripping that utterance of some peripheral data that's not important, like I was on holiday and, or is there other best practice that you would you would recommend to help people uh, solve that? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the first is you need to identify where is the ripple effect. You know, where is the conflict with this new this new uterance that you have had it. Uh, and, you know, in Qbox, you will see that uh, straight away and you will be able to analyze 
the training data and this ripple effect all together and really trying to understand what is that. And we have like things like word density. So we are going to try, we are going to analyze the density of the word of that uterans within that intent versus the intent it's conflicting with versus the rest of the model. So we are going to be able to tell you when you use the word payment, uh, you use it less in one intent, but it's still important than in other intent or than all the intent that use the word payments in your models. So again, it's, it's this kind of balancing act that you have to constantly do. Um, so that, that, that's the first thing. The second thing is sometimes, you know, uh, and I will just correct the stat you said. You said 99, it was 96%. Uh, 99 would be even better, but uh, 96 <laughs> is, is pretty good going. Uh, but uh, you will arrive for model like that. This model is really good. The teams behind it is, is uh, I've been using Qbox for four years now, but they're, they're just cracking team. Uh, you know, they have had cases where they decided not to fix it. Right. Because fixing it, you know, utilizing this uh, or trying to cover this very, very, very edge case, you know, that doesn't happen. That is in your long tail, doesn't happen that often and, and, and so on, was actually creating more damage overalls and not fixing it and letting go through, through agent uh, as long as it's an edge case, of course. And and I know they have had a, a few cases like that where the model cannot model that. But, mm. you know, they have been able to have the analytics for it to say fixing that is creating that damage and I've tried to fix that damage and actually I'm not able to. So all in all, Qbox will say these new models you are trying to put in place is performing less well than your previous model. Mm. And suppose, that, that's the important thing is to compare, always compare things. But 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 and 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 that's the point behind this these techniques we have. It's really trying to compare things that are equals uh, to each other. Yeah. I suppose you're never gonna get you're probably never gonna get a hundred percent because there's always gonna be an edge case, as you say. But isn't there isn't there don't you think that there is like almost an expectation that because it's technology and because it's digital, you we're used to digital things being like really accurate in all instances. So would you say that there's almost like a an expectation from some enterprises or some clients or some developers even that actually hundred percent is feasible uh in, in, in the case of NLU? <laughs> You're absolutely right. Um, and, and, and I love the example you said, developers. I mean, I'm an ex-developer, so I think I can say it. Uh, developers are crap at making models <laughs> because they try to find logic to it. Mm. They try to understand what's happened. They try to understand, oh, if I change this word, what, what's happened? And they try to understand the logic behind it, but we can't process what's happened behind those models. They are way, way, way too complex. Our brain can't, can't, can't cope with it. Uh, so they don't, they, don't, they don't tend to make very, very good modeler. I'm sure there is exception. Right there. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, the, I think the hype that have happened in, in, in AI hasn't helped um, our, our industry um, because 
it was meant to be, you know, how hard can it be? It's AI, it's learned by itself, it's all magic, you will see, it's, it's perfect, and, and, and it's mm-hmm. not. And we still have very large organization, I was talking to one today, that the chatbot team, uh, because now you have more and more companies that have really dedicated chatbot teams, the chatbot team knows they have to do a step backward before going forward again. Mm-hmm. Um, but the business is really, really struggling to comprehend that and, and, and really struggling to say, yeah, but we have something with 500 intent right now. Uh, yeah, it's not working, but it's 500 intent. And, and they're like, yeah, but we should go back to an hundred, you know, to our really our short tail hundred do that very well and then build from that. And it's, it's a really big dilemma for chatbot teams those days is to try to explain that it's not perfect. It's not an exact science. It won't be a hundred percent and, and get those message through the board. And, and it does go through ultimately or eventually, mm. uh, but it does take a little bit of education. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting that like the, yeah, it's a sunk cost fallacy, isn't it? You know, people think that because we've invested so much, we have to plow through rather than think this is the point that we're at in time and what's the best decision to make right now for moving forward. You know, there's a, I don't know if you're familiar with Seth. Are you familiar with Seth Gordon? No, actually. He's, a, he's an author. He's like a, his, his background is in marketing. He, write, he used to write a lot of marketing books and stuff. But he's, he, uh, he does this blog and he's, some of his writing is pretty decent. And he, he does have a marketing lens on things, but he also now moved into like more kind of like business talk and stuff like that. And in general, that, that's one of the things that, that he kind of references sometimes is this whole sunk cost fallacy. And I think that's exactly what you kind of highlighted is we've invested in these 500 intents. It took this team, you know, it's 10 months to get to this point. Like what we're going to do now or two, three years or however long it is. Um, which is, is, yeah, it's, it's, it's mad, but yeah, you kind of touched on something there, which is scaling it. Basically they've reached a scale 500 intents. It's not really working. They need to kind of maybe take a step back to take a step forward. What are some of the other, um, challenges, I suppose you could phrase it for want of a better word, uh, that you see when organizations begin scaling. I think we've touched on some conflicted intents and ripple effects and stuff like that. Any, any other sort of challenges that you're aware of when you go from a bot that's just handling, you know, 50 intents in a fairly simple use case to, you know, 16 bots that are managing multiple different use cases and handing off to one another and all that kind of stuff. Like what's the, what's the old challenges of scaling this thing? Yeah. I mean, uh, there's quite many, but uh, one usually, I mean, one of the problem you see quite a lot in performance and, and, and one of the funny things of all our customer is, is that everything is around, you know, what we call the performance matter mantra it's all it's all it's all about performance and the funny thing is most of those customers haven't measured their performance for months and months and months and invested in that teams doing this kind of magic behind the scene but what you find out is that they reach some performance ceiling okay uh, glass ceilings and when they are there they, they, they try to find this magic tool this magic thing that 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 will break through it and Sometimes it's the case because their training data was were not optimized, and sometimes their training data is optimized. You know, they, they, they tell us, "Hey, Qbox is great. We move from 40 performance to 75, but we are stuck." And we try to explain to them that's because you need to break your model. That's because your 
architecture of your model behind the scene, the mapping of it, the construct of it, is 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 only going to take you to 75. And we know that because in the early days, I remember a, a, a client model having to do it four times. It was, you know, we had a bit of freedom to do it and, and it was absolutely great. But without doing that, we'll still be at, 45, at, at 55 or 65 performance. Mm. So it's really understanding that it's, it's okay that we you read your limit and it's okay to take a step backward before a, 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 a step forward. But as you as you describe it a little bit hyperscale, okay, you start to talk about multiple models and so on, you find uh, uh, we saw client or prospect that are hyperscaling and their total intent is 100. And just like, you know, something went wrong somewhere, you took the wrong corner. Uh, anyway, bless them, you know, it, it, they only have the experience they had. So we try to explain to them that, you know, again, because they haven't mastered it, what they thought is, oh, if we have separate chatbot, it's going to get easier. And, and, and it is true in one way, but the high spare scale create another number of issue. I... If you have like 10 sub-models, okay, one per subject, let's say, matter or, or whatever. Uh, one about complaint and what about billings and one about, you know, customer care or, or whatever, or support. Uh, you need to have a dispatcher. You need to have a dispatcher at the top. You need to have an orchestrator. Okay, mm. a lot of company, Microsoft and so on, they work on this orchestration technology. Uh, but typically, the orchestrator, you know, there is multiple way to to multiple way to to deal with that with that problematics. But it's another problematic you had to the top of it. Some people take all the training data of one models across all their intents, and they train one intent with all that training data and one intent and one intent. So the first model say, oh, it's intent seven. That means model seven. You need to ask model seven and do that. Other people are asking all the models in one go bring back all the result. And after looking at it and say, oh, okay, which one am I gonna go for? And what they do to make it their life even even harder is they change the technology of the submodel. So they might have a QNA maker and so on that comes with different, you know, a 60% confidence in QNA maker is on the same than in Luis or, or, or than in Watson mm -hmm. or whatever. So then after it's, it, it can be very, very complex. So, you know, I would say in terms of, obviously, you are going to scale your models. Try always to scale your model as much as you can within one models before bringing the problematic of, of multiple models because that is still, you know, a dark art. And, mm. and um, you have only a few companies that have done it successfully. Mm. Very, mm. very few companies. Interesting. Interesting. Do you think it's feasible to have a kind of like super skilled uh, chatbot or voice bot or something that handles, you know, I know that if you look at something like Dialogflow CX, for example, one of the kind of headlines is we can, we'll, we'll manage like 2000 intents is like the limit or whatever. Um, whether there's, whether, you know, 2000 seems like quite a lot, but if there was a case where a business would require more than 2000 intents and, and to handle multiple different use cases, I mean, 
the, the, my kind of philosophy, I think, is that where if we carry on down this path which we're on, which I think we will, then the, the first touch point for a business, for most customers across all channels, the first touch point will be an AI. And so it doesn't matter if you call them, message them, email them, whatever it might be, there's going to be an, uh, an assistant there that's going to take that first touch point. In order to get to that point, you're talking multiple channels, multiple use cases, you know, and an and immense scale, especially for some organizations. Do you think it's feasible for a single NLU model to manage the kind of conversations that a business has in its entirety? Or do you think that it's, it's going to happen at some point that multiple, a multiple model approach is, is where we're going to end up? Right now, with where we are, I, I, I would place my bet on, on the multiple models. Uh, just because, just a simple use case you mentioned, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not unusual, you know, emails, I am or instant messaging and phone. It's three media where we expressed ourselves very, very differently. So the voice media is very complicated. I mean, you know, and you have Deep Graham here as, 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 as one of your sponsors, but you need to convert, you know, speech to text. Then after you need an NLP that converts, convert text to meanings. Okay, so you are already going to have the first loss from speech to text, and then after trying to convert this mm. this translated text to to to, a, to an intent. So, but also the way I'm going to express myself through that media myself is not the way I'm going to write to a bot. It's definitely not the way how I'm going to formulate an email. You know, my emails is going to be like, okay, so I was doing that, 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 that. I'm going to try to give some context to come to my points. Mm. So. Um, it's, it's, you know, we have done a bit of, uh, you know, voice and text, both mixed uh, to a client. And we went for, we went for two, two different models. Um, because if you have the right, you know, um, process and the right toolings for it and, and, you know, the right expertise, building models, I mean, I don't do it, but, so of my colleague, like Alison or Judith, I mean, they do that in, in their sleep now. It's just <laughs> like, it's just, they are amazing. I mean, we talk to customers and, and, and they have struggle and we are not there to build model for them, you know, ultimately, but you know, sometimes we, 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 try, we just sit down with them and help them out. And sometimes it becomes so like, I say, okay, send you, send us your model. <laughs> and Alison just send that back and say, well, that's amazing. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, uh, so as expertise is very important, but when you have it, multiple model is not a big deal. And I, I will not see why we need 5,000, intent models it's 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 going to make management more difficult ultimately mm. and then we'll, we're getting close to the top of the hour so the, the last question i would like to to do if we have time before we wrap up with with contact details and whatnot would be I've saw, as I mentioned, some of the posts that, that I obviously follow QBox on LinkedIn because I seem to see it all the time. I don't know whether you're paying for a promotion or something like that, but one of the ones, one of the posts that's not <laughs> got some good, good organic reach there. Either that or LinkedIn is just really good at serving the content that I'm looking for. Um, so one of the things I saw was, um, what was it? It was around the, the concept of, I do you have the right people operating in the right areas when it comes to your conversational AI. And so 
you know, a lot of people, a lot of companies and a lot of teams, actually, you mentioned there that, that, you know, flippantly that developers don't always make good models, but a lot of companies have developers building models. Uh, some organizations might have conversation designers that build the initial model that then gets fed into the development process that then might get iterated during that time. And then when it actually comes to something being live and iterating it over time, sometimes it might be a conversation designer that, that fills in in case there's more dialogue that needs writing or whatever and, and doing that analysis. You need to get to a certain level of skill before you've got actual like what you would know as an AI trainer as a dedicated role which not many organizations do um, and the post that that, um, that I was referring to was essentially talking about how putting QBox or putting this analytical capabilities in the hands of subject matter experts not developers not conversation designers people that work within the business and empowering them to utilize it is, is, a, is a unique approach because as, as you start to scale uh, your conversational AI kind of initiatives, inevitably you need to be able to devolve or democratize things in order for business users to have an input because they're the ones with the knowledge in the business. And so it makes absolute sense. A bit like how CMS systems went from being you know, used by the tech team to being a, an accessible tool for everyone. Long-winded way of getting around to the question, which is who is the kind of ideal user for Qbox? Is it SMEs? Is it conversation designers? Is it developers? Do you care? Yeah, um- I mean, you know, again, developer will try to find a logic, and 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 that's the nature of of how how they are wired. It 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 makes sense to them, but they are not the ideal user. No, uh, we get a lot of conversational des- uh, designers. We got a lot of subject matter experts. Lot of them, uh, usually slight reconversions. You know, so, so they were a subject matter expert, and they are, you know, retraining as chatbot trainers or, or, or something like that. But usually that's the sweet spot because they understand the business, they understand the, the nature of the request, the kind of the slight difference within those requests. And uh, you know what? They make a change and Qbox tells them, yeah, it goes well. No, no, it's not going well. Just roll back. And, and they can just be very, very, um, you know, iterative about it. Uh, until until they find what 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 works, so tend to be tend to be those, uh, but also because the market is very tense. I mean, the employment market around those resources they are very very few. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely not going to give my email, the email address of Alison today, uh, <laughs> because because they they you know they're very few. But that's why also those toolings like like Qbox are are very popular. It's because it just allowed you to give people's you know that have some analytical mind but but not trying to find a, a pattern to anything to everything sorry um being able to interact with those technology and get the reassurance that what they are doing is going into the right direction and what they are delivering is 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 fit for business mm-hmm. wicked it's a as i said at the beginning it is i think that it's you found the bit that exactly you know the thing that everyone searches for when they bring a product to market is to try and find that product market fit and you can see that sometimes that there's a product that kind of does something but doesn't do it greatly well but a good marketing push and persistence might get you somewhere uh, and there's you know you can see tooling actually that, that's existed that is no longer around anymore especially if you look around in the voice assistant space with you know tools that were there for building skills with Alexa and so that a lot of it's kind of come and gone um, but I think that right from the very beginning uh, you know for QBox it is is an absolute bang 
bang fit, you know, product market fit is absolutely there. It's a definite problem that I've experienced myself, you know, working on in this kind of stuff. I know for a fact everyone tuning in will be experiencing the same thing. Uh, and so it's a perfect, perfect fit for me. And I'm, I'm yeah, excited to see where it takes you. Yeah, no, absolutely, and and um, I mean, I think I think we have been doing very well in this analysis of of training data, and and you know, uh, as you said, the list of customers keep keep piling on, uh, so uh, an existing customer keeps staying with us for three, four years now for for the oldest or the one that were more beta beta tester for us, mm. uh, but. Uh, one of the things also that are coming in the pipeline are, are, are going to be absolutely awesome. I mean, personally, I can't wait to be around mid-March because we'll have some big announcements uh, coming where we are going to, again, make the life of um, conversational designer much, much, much easier, uh, being able to cover new subjects, being able to let machine build on the work they do in order to test even more their chatbots. Um, so yeah, some, some, some big announcement on top of the client we keep announcing on a, on a regular, or the one we can announce, we keep announcing on, on a regular basis. Nice. We, we have a nice, nice roadmap going up. Um, and, and, you know, uh, the team are working uh, very hard and very late. <laughs> good good that sounds good well well we'll see you back here in march then shall we <laughs> if you want yeah. nice one ben well, this has been an absolute pleasure thank you so much i won't give alison's email out but i, I will uh, direct people to the website which is qbox.ai and the email address that is on the website is hello at qbox.ai if you want to uh, reach out any other areas that you would you would divert people to ben Wai if they want to learn a bit more and find out a bit more about what you're doing yeah, I mean, uh, our YouTube channel is is great and full of, of video that explain different problems. How do you fix a Lewis model? How do you fix a Watson model? And so on. It goes a little bit more also into details of some of the feature, but ultimately the value uh, proposition is still the same. Wicked. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, and thank you all for tuning in. Thank you for joining us. Uh, if you are not already subscribed to VUX World and you want to get invites to the podcast and the shows that we do like this with experts in the field like Ben Wilde, then please do go to VUX.world forward slash subscribe. Uh, if you're not already subscribed to my LinkedIn newsletter, please do that. It's going pretty well. We've got quite a few subscribers on there now. I do that every single Tuesday and I round up basically everything that is notable and worth knowing every single week. Uh, and I'll stick that in your LinkedIn feed and you'll get a notification during LinkedIn as well, which is cool. Uh, if you're in the market for some speech recognition, check out DeepGram. And if you want to investigate how you can extract intelligence from the conversations that you have in your business, do check out Symbol AI. Uh, for me, that's all we have time for today. Benoit, thank you so much for joining us. This has genuinely been an absolutely amazing episode. I knew it would be, but it's even been better than I thought it would be. So It, it was you. my pleasure. <laughs> nice one and we'll see everybody next week when we'll be talking to actually coincidentally enough a partner of Qbox Cognigy yeah yeah you see yeah we'll have great, uh, great technology as well yeah yeah very good making some very good moves as well very similar to Qbox announcing a lot of clients all the time uh, so we've got the CEO of uh, Philip Heltevig joining us next Wednesday and we're going to be talking today we've been talking a lot about enterprise challenges and, and challenges when it comes to NLU we're probably going to go up a level in terms of a higher level overview of some of the challenges that enterprises face when trying to get conversational AI and, and assistant initiatives off the ground in general and before we get to the actual NLU model so 
So maybe we should have done that first and then got into this, but uh, we're doing it vice versa anyway. So please do join us next week. There's always a replay. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. We'll see you all next week. Thank you so much. Ken Fox, thanks for having me.